Hi, I'm Vicky Browning, Chief Executive of Akivo, the network for charity and civil society leaders. Welcome to Leadership Worth Sharing, a podcast in which I talk to civil society chief execs about their careers, their experiences, and what leadership means to them. There are so many inspirational leaders working to make a difference in our sector, and I hope that hearing from some of them will inspire and challenge you in the same way I've been inspired and challenged by all the people I've met through Akivo. For our very first episode, I travelled to Leeds to meet Alison Lowe, Chief Executive of Mental Health and Wellbeing Services charity Touchstone, to talk about celebrating difference, mental health and co-production, and how, as leaders, we need to give ourselves permission to not be perfect. So I'm absolutely delighted uh, that you're joining us, Alison, for our podcast today. just wanted to start off by asking a little bit about you, your background, what you do, and, and then tell us a little bit about Touchstone, where you're working now. Okay, so I'm Alison Lowe. I'm the Chief Exec of Touchstone. I come from Leeds, as you can tell from the very flat northern vowels, which I love. I come from a, an estate in Leeds called Seacroft, where I was one of three black families. It's a 4,000 um, house estate, so there was us at one end, the Oppove is in the middle, and the Nelson's at the end. So obviously you had to learn to be a bit of a street fighter to survive and I've used uh, some of those experiences in the world of the voluntary sector and I think it's uh, kept me in good stead because uh, it is a bit topsy-turvy on occasion. And you've been at Touchstone for really quite a long time now, haven't you? Yeah, nearly 15 April, 15 15 years. years. And so just tell me a bit about the organisation, what it does and what makes it special. So we're a mental health and wellbeing charity. We're based across the whole of West Yorkshire and a little bit of South Yorkshire. Uh, What makes it special, there's quite a few things. One is our specialism. We work really successfully with the communities that we serve, particularly BME communities. So that's our USP. And we're really confident about the work that we do with black minority ethnic communities. And we're well known for delivering high quality services to those people. But we're really rooted in all the communities that we serve. We're really confident and comfortable in those communities. We are of those communities. We recruit people from diverse range and also who come into the employment into employment through very different routes, criminal justice backgrounds, drug and alcohol, mental health. Uh, so we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we are also very aware of our differences and incredibly inclusive of each other, each other's um, strengths, but also each other's weaknesses. We talk openly about our mental health. I've got mental health difficulties. We talk openly uh, about our differences. We celebrate those. Uh, we don't practice any religion, but we celebrate all religions. And overall, I think Touchstone is a very safe place to work, and I think that's part of our success. You've won lots of awards yeah. for being a really great place to work. So most recently, you were named in the Sunday Times top uh, best nonprofits to work for. You've also been ranked number one in the Inclusive Employers list for three, three years, years in a row. Three years, <laughs> Got that? Yes, yeah. 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 And uh, in the top twenty of Stonewall's top 100 employers. You mentioned, you touched on there about the inclusive nature of what you do and the openness that you yeah. encourage within the organisation. One of the other things that I noticed from the citation, particularly from the Sunday Times piece, was about the values that you have. I think you said something like 97% of staff agreed that Touchstone is run on strong values and principles. How did you go about establishing what those values were And how do you make sure they're lived and not just paid lip service to? Well, I've been on a journey. Mm. So Touchstone has come along with me on that journey. So it all started with me because actually I was in conflict. So I've talked about my mental health and uh, for many years, 
I wanted to be this wonderful, warm, open, inclusive person. But actually, what I was doing and what I was saying were not the same things. And I had to go through a really difficult journey of self-discovery and exploration, which was incredibly painful. I went through coaching, but I was abused as a child and I think I hadn't understood how that impacted on me as an adult and how controlling I'd become because obviously I could control this bit of my life and I couldn't control that bit of my life. Through coaching and through uh, goodwill from me because I really wanted to be different, I, I learned the lesson that actually I had brilliant people around me. They were bright, they were clever. I had to let, let go and I had to share power and the more that I understood myself and gave myself permission to not be perfect, to be open about some of my deficits, some of my weaknesses, but also celebrate my strengths, I was able to bring on board all the other um, wonderful people who wanted to come and work at Touchstone because we're all wounded healers, really. We're all of us very alive to the fact that to some people in society, we're not perfect, we're not good enough. Uh, but within Touchstone, we don't need to be perfect and we're all good enough. So through that very painful, difficult journey, I came to a place where my values were um, in sync. I understood what made me tick, I understood what made me happy. And now I communicate those values really effectively to my staff and the people who come and work with us. They they want to work within that value setting. They're really aligned to those values. We uh, IIP Platinum and 99% of our staff, when they were surveyed, said that they shared our values, which apparently is uh, amazing and uh, completely unreal as far as IIP were concerned. And that is because we attract people like us who are not perfect, understand that they've got lots to give, but also understand that they've got lots of uh, lessons to learn. Uh, on that life journey um, and we're, we're learning together mm. that's all very connected to you personally though yeah. isn't it it's all so your journey was your personal journey happened th- during the time you you've been at touchstone you've the organization has developed around your understanding and your realization that what was needed in mm. the in the services that you're offering was this approach does that worry you how integral you are to the organisation in terms of what happens next? I mean, I'm, you know, at some point you might want to go do something different. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it, it all feels like it's all very tied up with Alison Lowe specifically. Do you think you need to change anything about that or have you brought people underneath you to, to take over if you do leave? What, how, how, do you, how do you think about well, that? Well, the great thing is it started with me, but now everybody else has taken that forward. So we have a very strong distributed leadership culture. So it's not all about me anymore. It started with me. I'm a very strong person. I'm a very powerful person. But not anymore. People don't tell me stuff because I don't need to know. We have these things called leadership parameters. Is it in the budget? Is it in the contract? Is it co-productive and does it honour our values? If the answer to all four is yes, get on with it. Don't tell me. Don't ask me. Don't email me. I don't need to know. Your senior manager probably doesn't need to know. Get on with it. So each of our team managers, they are mini chief execs. They run their services in line with our values. They deliver for the commissioner. They run excellent services and they know I can't come and start sticking my nebby in and say, oh, it's like on your bike, Alison. I'm the leader, but not just they're your leaders. Everyone is a leader. So we have a huge development program for our staff. We massively promote leadership uh, as not just an entitlement of everybody, but um, the fact that it, everybody is a leader and uh, how do we help people to uh, discover what their leader's at and how do we nurture that? So, for example, we have leadership masterclasses. So we've just had a brilliant speaker this week, Kate Davis, CBE, who is uh, very senior in the NHS. 
it came, talked about her, her life journey. Uh, we have lots of speakers. We've had Ruth Hunt. We've had the chief executive of Leeds City Council. We've had uh, people from a range of backgrounds who talk to staff about sometimes incredibly traumatic beginnings, but how through adversity they have fought their way through and have developed their leadership capacity to survive and to thrive. And that message is permeating and permeated through, throughout the whole of Touchstone. And so everybody knows what their role is. They also know they can um, stretch, uh, be aspirational and do uh, different roles. More than 50% of our management team started in a different more junior role. Half of my senior management team started in a different more junior role. And so now I think that if I left tomorrow... People would be really sad and I'd be devastated. Mm. But you would, you would wouldn't be leave absolutely... an answer to hole because the hole no. is... is, is I'd, leave, I'd leave a little hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I wouldn't leave a huge hole because yeah, yeah. the capacity and capability of Touchstone is brilliant and it doesn't need me to prop it up yeah. because it's so embedded. There's a golden thread of inclusion, leadership, confidence. People know what they're doing and they're going to fly whether I'm there or not. You mentioned something about power, and I think it's a really interesting issue that's being thought of, not before time, a bit more in our sector, is, is how do you devolve power? How do you address the imbalances between, either it's whether between genders or races or charities and beneficiaries? Mm. So you've talked about that in terms of, of devolving responsibility. Yeah. So very clear parameters, but within those parameters, control. What about, um, so that's within the organisation, so what about power between the organisation and the people that you you serve, that you work with? So just to go back, I, I, we don't have control, we have accountability. So Absolutely. that's yeah. the word yeah, I yeah. would use. Yeah. So in terms of our service users, well, I think the beauty of Touchstone is many of us feel like we're service users, some of us have been service users. For us, we're on a, a continuum, we're on a spectrum. And at any point, any of us could um, become a beneficiary of Touchstone or another mental health service. And that really is brilliant because what it says is we're all here together mm. working yeah. towards good mental health for our communities, of which I am one. And co-production is something that we're really passionate about at Touchstone. Uh, so we have so many, over 40 different mechanisms of inclusion, involvement, co-production. Uh, we've worked with about 40 partners over the last two and a half years to develop a, a co-production standard for the sector, for any sector, for any city, any country. It's a start of a 10. We're, we're now working on a toolkit to support uh, being able to complete the standard. We're talking to commissioners about utilising that standard uh, because we're sick to death of people saying, oh, we're really good at co-production, and actually, no, they're not. Um, and I think the key to co-production is, can you tell in your organisation who is the beneficiary and who is a member of staff? You can't touch on. People often think I'm a service user, which I don't mind, because tomorrow I could be. Mm. And, you know, in the past I have been. So for me, it's about all of us being human, sharing our, our humanity, recognising the strength that we all bring, the experience that we all bring and learning from that. So our, our service users are part of all the different decision-making mechanisms. There are lots and lots of ways for service users to get involved. We have things like compliments and complaint audit panels. So every, every complaint is audited by trained service users. I service that panel. I have to redact all the names and uh, um, um, identifying features, for example. There's a golden thread. So people, service users are at every level of the organisation. So if I think, oh, I can lie here, they've been very critical of me there. I'll lie there and I'll 
I'll, I'll take that out. It'll come somewhere else because that person or another person will say, actually, Alison, we said you were out of order there, so what, what do you think you're doing? So there's no way of hiding mm. because we have people with lived experience on our board, we have subcommittees with service users with voting rights. There's no way of hiding, and that's brilliant because it means that you have to be open and transparent, you have to share, you have to be honest, and you have to have that dialogue around what it is to use services and deliver services, but how can we do that together? And we're on that we're on that journey. We're not we're not perfect yet. We're not probably never gonna get perfect, but we're really committed to getting as close to true co-production as we possibly can. And when you say that other people think they're good at co-production but aren't, is that uh, is that an arrogance that that they're still doing to instead of doing with? What do you think is the barriers that other people are seeing that you've somehow overcome, or perhaps that they're not seeing? Yeah, yeah, but that and, you've and overcome. we're overcoming. Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. think we're there yet. Yeah. I'm not. I don't want to be thought to be arrogant. I don't think that we're the best at co-production, but we are. We started that journey. And we, we're in the car and we're on the way. Yeah. You know, we're not still packing up the trunk and wondering whether or not we need water or sandwiches or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think some of the barriers are that people don't know what co-production is. People think that involvement is co-production and it isn't. Um, sometimes people think they have to say, we do co-production to get contracts, to tick a box. So they do it and they don't really understand what that means. And sometimes they don't care what mm. that means. I think some of the barriers are resources. Co-production is really expensive. Yeah. You've actually got to pay people for their involvement and for their time. And you've got to create spaces that are safe, that are welcoming. Uh, as a BME specialist organisation, food is huge. We have to feed people. And there is a huge uh, commitment to thinking about how you do it, the spaces that you do it in, how you make people feel welcome. So and it's really, I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's a business decision, isn't it? Yeah. Because it permeates all of the yeah. decisions you're making about finance and resource. And... Yeah. and policies. So we've got policies that have got co-production embedded about who you include, who are consultees, who are part of different mechanisms. Even our budget setting, we, we go to our service user involvement group, which is called News For You. Uh, we go through the budget with them, we check in with them. Um, is this something that you think is okay? I mean, obviously, we're, we, we don't patronise people and expect them to understand uh, all the different parts of a, a budget or a set of accounts. Uh, but we identify those people with strengths for particular activities. So, for example, we've just recruited a new finance director and we had a service user panel on one part, but we actually had someone with lived experience who was a very senior finance director in another organisation. Uh, and I rang her up and said, please, will you come on our interview panel with the trustees because you've got lived experience, but you also are a specialist finance person and we'll know when this person's speaking if they're telling us uh, the truth or they're making up as they go along and that person came and added value and we paid that person. Um, we made sure that we had the right person with the right skills, but we still had a service user panel and that was all about how does, it, how does it feel? How does each candidate feel to you? Could you work with them? Do you understand what they're saying? Are they saying it in a way that's inclusive? Or are they absolutely a no-go? Uh, and they really loved being part of that process and they added enormous value. a lot about as well as inclusion obviously diversity is really yeah. really important to you and it's something that you've made absolutely integral to Touchstone again in the sector there's a lot of talk about diversity the dial isn't shifting anything like as quickly as a lot of people would like so if you were to give advice or suggestions to people who are 
further back on the journey than your organisation is, what would you say to, to a chief executive who is really starting to think about this seriously and properly hmm. and wants to start contributing to shifting that dial more quickly? Well, leadership is absolutely. So not just leadership from the chief exec, there's got to be buy-in from your trustees because it's painful and it's going to get, the, the ride will be rocky. You have got to set yourself targets. People, yeah, I know it's a, it's, a, it's a very toxic debate about targets, but for me, if you do not know where you are now, so get your baseline data, and you don't know where you're going, how can you get there? How do you know when you've got there? Um, how do you know when you're partway on that journey? How can you celebrate successes and then action plan around the deficits? So targets are really important, but that is going to cause lots of feelings uh, amongst your staff. And so it's then about communicating, using your leadership position, your negotiation skills to take your staff team with you at Touchstone, uh, we did a big piece of work around LGBT inclusion about 10 years ago. We had a very, very diverse staff team at that time uh, in terms of ethnicity and religion. About 70% of our staff were BME. It was a really difficult conversation to have with some people who felt that it was not in line with their Bible or their Quran or, or whatever it was. So we had to really take people with us. But um, as a golden thread throughout all that was, this is non-negotiable because people from the LGB and T communities are dying, they're dying sooner than uh, heterosexual counterparts. Suicide is really, really high, particularly amongst uh, trans people. Mental health amongst all people from LGBT backgrounds is worse than their heterosexual counterparts. So if you want to work for a mental health organisation, you say that you share our values, then you need to get in um, you know, behind us or get on the, the door mm, queue because mm. either way, the decision is yours, but it's non-negotiable mm. because the facts tell us that this is something that we morally and absolutely, based on our, our values, have to do. And you know what, no one left. No one left. Yeah, there was some feeling stuff. Within 18 months, we were in Stonewall Top 100. We've been in now for uh, six years running. We've retained 20th spot, which is top 5%. I was the Stonewall senior leader in 2015 for some of that work that I'd, that I'd done. But at the end of the day, it's now a safe place for my kids. And it wasn't, I've got two gay children, and it wasn't a safe place for my kids in 2010 when we started this journey. So I think it's really important that we are leaders, that we stand up and we be very strong voices in terms of inclusion. We give the facts, but we set ourselves targets, have a baseline, get buy-in, do it. I mean, it's never, nothing's ever easy, but it's easier as a chief exec to bring your staff with you because ultimately there is that sanction, my way or the highway. But yeah. trustee boards are a bit, can be more tricky. What techniques or what, what influence do you think people should be using to make sure that the board is genuinely on board with this, given that there are there are less levers in your in your armory to do that. It's about purpose, isn't it? Why are those trustees there? Why are they giving their time? They're not doing it just because they've got a couple of days spare a year. They're doing it because they believe in the purpose, the mission, the values of that organisation. And you speak to that. You speak to their heart and you give them facts and figures so you speak to their head. Because some people are heart people, some people are head people. And so you use your influencing and negotiation skills as a chief exec because we all have them otherwise we wouldn't be in that role you use those skills to bring your trustees on board you talk to their heart you talk to their head depending on which uh, sort of person they are you use the facts and then you you ask the question well, why are you here mm. why are you here mm. if it's not 
to promote the well-being of Group A or Group B according to our memorandum and uh, uh, articles and, uh, and all the rest of it. And so you really hold people to account yeah. for their reasons for being on that board and you can't be afraid of holding your trustees to account for their purpose, for their rationale for being there, why are they there if they don't want to help you as chief exec deliver the, both the strategic objectives but also the values the mission of the organisation. That's interesting because that comes back to the same yeah. accountability yeah. that you talked about uh, earlier on with Absolutely. staff as well. Absolutely. You've got to have accountability at every level. I'm held accountable, not just by staff who think I've done things you know, that they wouldn't do, but also by trustees. But similarly, it's like a series of concentric circles. It's not just me being accountable, it's all of us being accountable for the work that we do, for the purpose that we deliver. I think it's okay for us all to ask those questions. I'm a public servant. 29 years I've been a local councillor. I know what it is to serve and my purpose is to serve. But also through that process of serving, get results that meet the objective of the communities. And I've got lots and lots of communities in mind when I say communities. My trustees are a community, my staff are a community, my beneficiaries are a community, other stakeholders such as commissioners, partners, they're all communities and I serve them all. And do you feel, um, as a woman of colour, that there is a burden on people of colour in the sector to, to lead on this diversity stuff? And, and is that frustrating? And what can white leaders do to be better allies in this? So I, I don't feel that it's a, it's a burden. I think it's absolutely my privilege to be a role model. I feel joy that I can bring black women into leadership positions and I can stand up there and do my leadership talks and my inclusion talks. Another black woman in the room come up to me and go, oh, you're so inspirational, it's brilliant. That gives me joy, that gives me pleasure. Um, and I, I really firmly believe that, um, that white people are part of the solution. It's not just that me as a black woman knows it all, I really don't. But I know that working together with all the people who think like me, the allies who think like me, that we can make a difference together. So I'm not gay, but both my kids are gay. Uh, and I'm a huge ally of the LGBT community. I use my time. I was at an event last night with Touchstone Sponsored. I use my resources as an organisation, not just in sponsoring, things like that. We sponsored the first Trans Pride in Leeds. And I also use my passion. So people contact me and say, I'm having a problem at work. It's transphobia or it's biphobia or whatever it is. Can you help? And I do. I help them. I help them because I know about um, employment tribunals. I know about HR legislation, I tell them. I go to places with people, I sit on employment tribunals with people if they need me to because I've got assets and resources and my job is to share all those things. So it's great being a woman of colour because sometimes I can say things that other people can't say but it's also a huge responsibility because I need to be careful about what I say and when because words can stick. So I always say to people of colour, black people, if you think that something's happening because of the colour of your skin, we need to get facts. You can't just use the R word and let that get out there. And that's a responsibility uh, that you've got to make sure we use that word wisely and proportionately and based on facts and evidence. Otherwise, our voices get lost. People think, oh, it's them again, the morning again. So it's a responsibility, not just for me to educate white people but work with white people it's also about saying to people of colour BME people of faith etc we need to get our act together to work together name it and shame it when we've got the facts and figures and if we can't get the facts and figures don't let your friend go in or your brother or your sister go in tell them I'll stay clear there I didn't get a good feeling but let's work together 
um, black, white, whatever colour we are, whatever gender we are, whatever sexual orientation we are, let's work together to make this a better work environment for everyone and a better world for everyone. And you mentioned earlier on that you were you've been a counsellor for twenty nine years. So and um, your tweet your Twitter handle is Alison for Labour or something, isn't it? It is. It's um, changing to Alison for Life. Oh, well, when when I leave, it's okay. Alison for Life. Yeah. <laughs> How has I mean and, and obviously your political work and is really central to, yeah. to who you are and, and how you make an impact within the world. How have you balanced, you know, that line between political activity and the political neutrality that is expected of a a charity chief exec? Well, again, it's been a journey because it, it isn't easy because you have to have such boundaries between the two, constantly disclosing interests in different spaces. And I don't know if you've guessed, but I don't have, you know, I don't have a filter sometimes. I'm just very, ah, and, um, that's linked to my mental health and, you know, but I celebrate that. I love that about me, but you've got to be really self-aware about when, even if you don't feel that it's about, it's a conflict of interest, that the perception of others Tain you as a professional person can also impact on your organisation and can embarrass or compromise officers who you've worked with for many years and really respect. It, it is difficult. It's a constant battle to be thinking, right, which hat am I wearing in this particular setting? Do I do I share things here? Do I share things there? So generally speaking, I don't share things from this world in this world. Uh, I have lots of uh, uh, very senior councillor colleagues who would sometimes be very interested in actually how political policy that I know um, is X, how it's been interpreted in a way that makes it now B. Mm. Uh, but I don't do that because the minute I take my experiences as a chief exec to my senior colleagues, my relationship with commissioners, with senior officers is finished. Mm. But also it's not fair because sometimes what we think as councillors in our utopian world um, should be the outcome of policy A or policy B is not really realistic. Sometimes the officers are right and the politicians are wrong. So I've got to tread a really fine line between Touchstone's interests, the council interests, and also the fact that I need to work professionally with people. And actually, I am a professional, mm. and I don't want people to feel unsafe in my company. So it's hard, it's a constant battle, but I think I've done a good job over mm. the years. Mm. I'm sure I've made mistakes, particularly in the beginning, uh, but I've got better and better and better at it. And has it helped me? Yes, it's helped me because my strategic awareness of national policies and how they're interpreted at a local level has been second to none as a result of my position as a, a Labour councillor in a ruling Labour group. But also it's hampered me because there's been times where I think officers have felt, well, we can't give it to them because she's there or mm. we can't have that conversation because she's there. So overall, I think it's been a good thing. I wouldn't recommend it for everybody, but it's a really stressful position to be in all the time because you've got so many different dynamics and so many different audiences. And at the heart of all that is you as a professional person. And how have you managed to balance that? Because you speak very openly about your own mental health. I mean, you sound, I mean, I mean, sometimes I just feel exhausted just listening to all the stuff. And then you say, oh, and I do sit on the tribunals and I talk to this person and I do that. And I, you know, I went to a thing last night and I'm committed today and have this tomorrow. You're really busy. You're really active. And you know that you have vulnerabilities in terms yeah. of your mental health. How do you look after yourself? Uh, well, first of all, I know myself really well. But I've learned over the years that I can't tell lies. Yes, I'm a politician and I can't tell lies <laughs> because, of course, I can tell lies. But if I do... I know that it's going to have an impact on my mental health because I'll get really anxious and I'll start worrying that someone's going to find out that I've said this when I said that to somebody else or when that's really the truth. I know that 
I've got to have integrity, I have to honour my values, I have to be, sometimes I'm too loud, sometimes I'm too this or too that, and I have to celebrate that and love the person that I am because that keeps me well. I try my best, I really try my best to live a good life and not to not to be a horrible person, not to bitch about anyone, not to criticise people, unless it's you know something in the context of one of my roles and it's, it's, uh, it's the job that I've got in hand. So I know how to live my life. I, I like to read, I like to go on lovely holidays, but as the years have gone past, I've also recognised that I am doing too much and the capacity that I had for doing everything is beginning to diminish. I'm 54 now, I'm beginning to feel my aches and pains, mm. which is why I've made the decision to stand down as a counsellor this mm. May, after 29 years. I'll be bereft for a short period of time, I'll be holes in my diary and it's suddenly like, oh! But in a way, that'll give me time to find myself again and give myself a bit of time. My daughter's just about to have a baby and oh. I'll be a nana for the first time ever. Congratulations. So there'll be new things for me to do. My children are 31 and 33. I, I am able to do lots and lots of things without impacting on other people. I'm single, but I know that now at 54, I don't want to look back at the end of my life with regrets and thinking, I gave and gave and I never took. Mm. So I'm going to try and take a little bit and get a bit more balance in terms of my work and my home life. And do you think you'll stick to that? <laughs> it's a question of you giving well, up, up for a week and then suddenly see, you're inundated and you're taking everything else see, on. I really like to be busy. I like to be busy, but I like to be doing different things as well. And that's the other thing is I, I like diversity. I like to be really stretched. I like to be scared. Not all the time. Oh, no, not all the time. But from time to time, I like to be asked to do something. It's like, oh, I don't have to do that. I've never done that before. Wow, that's so exciting. It's scary. So I need that in my life. And on the council, I've been here so long that terrible things happen to my constituents and, you know, you have to deal with that. But it's scary for them and it's not really scary for me. Yeah, I'm sure I'll do lots of other things, but mm. they'll be different. Yeah. So in, they'll be uh, reinvigorating yeah. uh, because they're different. I don't think I'll be doing less. I'll just be doing different, I think. Mm. And a bit more time for family. And yeah. I think particularly when a grandchild comes along, that's a very, that's a, that's a big shift, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. And I'm very excited. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's really lovely. Congrats for that. Thank you very much. Alison, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I particularly enjoyed the bit where you talked about the joy and I felt real joy coming from you and it made me feel very joyful as well and uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. This was Leadership Worth Sharing, the podcast by and for civil society leaders. Thanks for listening and we'll meet again in a few weeks. If you want to know more about Akivo, check out our website, akivo.org.uk, that's A-C-E-V-O.org, and follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash Akivo. Goodbye.